be sure to follow Send Me to Sleep on your preferred podcast player so you never miss an episode and a good night's rest. Welcome to Send Me to Sleep, the place to find a good night's rest. My name's Andrew. I'm here to calm your mind and help you relax into a peaceful night's sleep. I'm going to do that by reading you a story. Tonight, I'll be reading The Merry Adventures of Robin Hood. Robin Hood Turns Beggar by Howard Pyle. This story will be one of treasure, trickery, and thievery. First, let's make sure we're as comfortable as we can be and ready for a good night's rest. I'd like you to get ready for tonight's story by taking a deep breath in through your nose and out through your mouth and slowly continuing to breathe however your body naturally does so. And each time you exhale, letting the stress and tension from your body leave your body also. We all fall asleep in our own way and in our own time. So as you drift off this evening, all I want you to do is listen to the sound of my voice. And so, let your eyes fall heavy and your breath soften as we settle in for a peaceful night's sleep. Robin Hood Turns Beggar After Jolly Robin had left Little John at the forking of the roads, he walked merrily onward in the mellow sunshine that shone about him. Ever and anon, he would skip and leap or sing a snatch of song for pure joyousness of the day, for Because of the sweetness of the springtide, his heart was as lusty within him as that of a colt newly turned out to grass. He trudged manfully along, ever willing to stop for this reason or for that, and ever ready to chat with such merry lasses as he met now and then. So the morning slipped along but yet he met no beggar with whom he could change clothes. Quoth he, If I do not change my luck in haste, I am like to have an empty day of it, for it is well nigh half gone already, and, although I have had a merry walk through the countryside, I know naught of a beggar's life. Then, After a while, he began to grow hungry, whereupon his mind turned from thoughts of springtime and flowers and birds and dwelled upon boiled capons, malmsey, 
white bread and the like with great tenderness. Quoth he to himself, I would I had Willie Whitkin's wishing coat. I know right well what I should wish for, and this it should be. Here he marked upon the fingers of his left hand with the forefinger of his right hand those things which he would have wished for. Firstly, I would have a sweet brown pie of tender larks, mark ye, not dry cooked, but with a good sop of gravy to moisten it withal. Next, I would have a pretty poulet, fairly boiled, with tender pigeon eggs, cunningly sliced, garnishing the platter around. With these I would have a long, slim loaf of wheaten bread that hath been baked upon the hearth. Thus Robin spoke to himself, his mouth growing moist at the corners with the thought of the good things he had raised in his own mind. So, talking to himself, he came to where the dusty road turned sharply around the hedge all tender with the green of the coming leaf, and there he saw before him a stout fellow sitting upon a stile, swinging his legs in idleness. All about this lusty rogue dangled diver pouches and bags of different sizes and kinds, a dozen or more, with great, wide, gaping mouths like a brood of hungry doors. His coat was gathered in at his waist and was patched with as many colours as there are stripes upon a maypole in the springtide. On his head he wore a great tall leathern cap and across his knees rested a stout quarterstaff of blackthorn full as long and heavy as Robin's. Hallo, good fellow, quoth Robin, when he had come nigh to the other. What art thou doing here this merry day, when the flowers are peeping and the buds are swelling? Then the other winked one eye and straightway trolled forth in a merry voice. I sit upon the stile and I sing a little while as I wait for my own true dear, oh, for the sun is shrinking bright, and the leaves are dancing light, and the little fowl sings she is near, oh. And so it is with me, bully boy, saving that my doxy cometh not. Now that is a right sweet song, quoth Robin, and... Were I in the right mind to listen to thee, I could bear well to hear more, but I have two things of seriousness to ask thee, so listen, I prithee. At this, the jolly beggar cocked his head on one side, like a rogue of a magpie. Quoth he, I am an ill jug to pour heavy things into, good friend, and 
if I mistake not, thou hast few serious words to spare at any time. Nay, quoth jolly Robin, what I would say first is the most serious of all thoughts to me, to wit. Where shall I get somewhat to eat and drink? Sayeth thou so, quoth the beggar. Marry, I make no such serious thoughts upon the matter. I eat when I can get it, and munch my crust when I can get no crumb. Likewise, when there is no ale to be had, I wash the dust from my throat with a trickle of cold water. I was sitting here as thou camest upon me, bethinking myself whether I should break my fast or no. I do love to let my hunger grow mightily keen ere I eat, for then a dry crust is as good to me as a venison pastry with suet and raisins is to stout King Harry. I have a sharp hunger upon me now, but methinks in a short while it will ripen to a right mellow appetite. Now, in good sooth, quoth Merry Robin, laughing, thou hast a quaint tongue betwixt thy teeth, but hast thou truly naught but a dry crust about thee? Methinks thy bags and pouches are fat and lusty for such thin fare. Why, mayhap there is some other cold fare therein, said the beggar slyly. And hast thou naught to drink but cold water, said Robin. Never so much as a drop, quoth the beggar. Over beyond yon clump of trees is a sweet and little inn as ever thou hast lifted eyelid upon. But I go not thither, for they have a nasty way with me. Once, when the good prior of Emmet was dining there, the landlady let a dear little tart of stewed crabs and barley sugar upon the window sill to cool. And seeing it there, and fearing it might be lost, I took it with me that I could find the owner thereof. Ever since then, they have acted very ill towards me, yet truth bids me to say that they have the best ale there that ever rolled over my tongue. At this, Robin laughed aloud. Marry, quoth he, they did ill towards thee for thy kindness, but tell me truly, what hast thou in thy pouch? Why, quoth the beggar, peeping into the mouths of his bags, I find here a goodly piece of pigeon pie, wrapped in a cabbage leaf to hold the gravy. Here I behold a dainty streaked piece of brawn, and here a fair lump of white bread. Here I find four oaten cakes and a cold knuckle of ham. Ha! 
in sooth, tis strange, but here I behold six eggs that must have come by accident from some poultry yard hereabout. They are raw, but roasted upon the coals and spread with a piece of butter that I see. Peace, good friend, cried Robin, holding up his hand. Thou makest my poor stomach quake with joy for what thou tellest me. If thou wilt give me to eat, I will straightway hie me to that little inn thou didst tell me about, and will bring a skin of ale for thy drinking and mine. Friend, thou hast said enough, said the beggar, getting down from the stile. I will feast thee with the best that I have, and bless Saint Cedric for thy company. But, sweet Chuck, I prithee bring thee quarts of ale at least, one for thy drinking, and two for mine, for my thirst is such that methinks I can drink ale as the sands of the River Dee drink salt water. So Robin straightway left the beggar, who, upon his part, went to a budding lime bush back of the hedge, and there spread his feast upon the grass and roasted his eggs upon a little fire, with a deftness gained by long labour in that line. After a while, Back came Robin bearing a goodly skin of ale upon his shoulder, which he laid upon the grass. Then, looking upon the feast spread upon the ground, and a fair sight it was to look upon, he slowly rubbed his hands over his stomach, for to his hungry eyes it seemed the fairest sight that he had beheld in all his life. Friend, said the beggar. Let me feel the weight of that skin. Yea, truly, quoth Robin, help thyself, sweet Chuck, and meantime, let me see whether thy pigeon pie is fresh or no. So the one seized upon the ale, and the other upon the pigeon pie, and nothing was heard for a while but the munching of food and the gurgle of ale as it left the skin. At last, after a long time had passed thus, Robin pushed the food from him and heaved a great sigh of deep content, for he felt as though he had been made all over anew. And now, good friend, quoth he, leaning upon one elbow, I would have at thee about that other matter of seriousness of which I spoke not long since. How, said the beggar reproachfully, thou wouldst surely not talk of things appertaining to serious affairs upon such ale as this. Nay, quoth Robin, laughing, I would not check thy thirst, sweet friend. Drink while I talk to thee. Thus it is. I would have thee know that I have taken a liking to thy craft, 
and would fain have a taste of a beggar's life, mine own self. Said the beggar, I marvel not that thou hast taken a liking to my manner of life, good fellow, but to like and to do are two matters of different sorts. Nevertheless, quoth Robin, I would have a try at it, and methinks I shall change clothes with thee, for thy garb seemeth to be pretty. So not only will I change clothes, but I will give thee two golden angels to boot. I have brought my stout staff with me, thinking that I might have to wrap some one of the brethren of thy cloth over the head by way of argument in this matter. But I love thee so much for the feast thou hast given me, that I would not lift even my little finger against thee, so thou needest not have a crumb of fear. Quoth Rickon, If I must give up my clothes, I must, but first promise me, by thy word as a true yearman, that thou wilt take naught from me but my clothes. I promise on the word of a true yearman, quoth Robin, thinking that the fellow had a few pennies that he would save. Thereupon, the beggar drew a little knife that hung at his side and ripped up the lining of his coat, drew thence ten bright golden pounds, which he laid upon the ground besides him, with a cunning wink at Robin. Now thou mayst have my clothes and welcome, said he, and thou mightest have had them in exchange for thine without the cost of a single farthing, far less two golden angels. Marry, quoth Robin, laughing, Thou art a sly fellow, and I tell thee truly, had I known thou hadst so much money by thee, maybe thou mightest not have carried it away, for I warrant thou didst not come honestly by it. Then he stripped off his clothes and put on those of the other, and as lusty a beggar was Robin Hood as e'er you could find on a summer's day. But stout Rakon of Hollywell skipped and leaped and danced for joy of the fair suit of Lincoln Green that he had so gotten. Quoth he, I am a feathered bird now. Truly, my dear Mole Pescond would never know me in this dress. Thou mayest keep the cold pieces of the feast, friend, for I mean to live well and lustily while my money lasts and my clothes are so wonderful. So he turned and left Robin, and crossing the stile, was gone, singing merrily from beyond the hedge as he strode away. So Robin, with all the empty road to himself, strode along whistling merrily, his bags and pouches bobbing and dangling at his thighs. At last he came to where a little grass-grown path left the road 
and, passing through a stile and down a hill, led into a grassy, sunny slope of open meadow, and so came to the little dingle, and dear he knew it, upon four lusty fellows that sat with legs outstretched around a goodly feast spread upon the ground. Four merry beggars were they, and each slung about his neck a little board that rested upon his breast. One board had written upon it, I am blind, another, I am deaf, another, I am dumb, and the fourth, pity the lame one. But although all these troubles written upon the boards seemed so grievous, the four stout fellows sat around feasting as merrily as though Cain's wife had never opened the pottle that held misfortunes and let them forth like a cloud of flies to pester us. The deaf man was the first to hear Robin, for he said, Hark, brothers, I hear someone coming. And the blind man was the first to see him, for he said, He is an honest man, brothers, and one of the like craft to ourselves. Then the dumb man called to him in a great voice and said, Welcome, brother, come and sit while there is still some of the feast left and a little malmsey in the pottle. At this, the lame man, who had taken off his wooden leg and unstrapped his own leg, and was sitting with it stretched out upon the grass so as to rest it, made room for Robin among them. We are glad to see thee, brother, said he, holding out the flask of malmsey. Marry, quoth Robin, laughing, and weighing the flask in his hands ere he drank. Methinks it is no more than seemly of you all to be glad to see me, seeing that I bring sight to the blind, speech to the dumb, hearing to the deaf, and such a lusty leg to a lame man. I drink to your happiness, brothers, as I may not drink to your health, seeing ye are already hale, wind and limb. At this, all grinned, and the blind beggar who was the chief man among them, and was the broadest-shouldered and most lusty rascal of all, smote Robin about the shoulder, swearing he was a right merry wag. Whence comest thou, lad? asked the dumb man. Why, quoth Robin, I came this morning from sleeping overnight in Sherwood. Is it even so, said the deaf man. I would not for all the money we four are carrying in Lincoln Town sleep one night in Sherwood. If Robin Hood caught one of our trade in his woodlands, he would, methinks, clip his ears. Methinks he would too, quoth Robin, laughing. But what money is this that ye speak of? Then up spake the lame man. Our king, 
Peter of York, said he, hath sent us to Lincoln with those monies that... Stay, Brother Hodge, quoth the blind man, breaking into the talk. I would not doubt our brother here, but bear in mind we know him not. What art thou, brother? Upright man, jerkman, clapper dudgeon, domerer, or Abraham man. At these words, Robin looked from one man to the other with mouth agape. Truly, quoth he, I trust I am an upright man, at least I strive to be. But I know not what thou meanest by such jargon, brother. It were much more seemly, methinks, if yon dumb man, who hath a sweet voice, would give us a song. At these words a silence fell on all, and after a while the blind man spoke again. Quoth he, Thou dost surely jest when thou sayest thou dost not understand such words. Answer me this. Hast thou ever fibbed a choose quarren in the Roman pad for the law in his bung? Now upon it, quoth Robin Hood testily, and ye make sport of me by pestering such gibberish. It will be ill for you all, I tell you. I have the best part of mind to crack the heads of all four of you, and would do so too, but for the sweet malmsey you have given me. Brother, pass the pottle lest I grow cold. Thou liest, quoth the one who pretend to be blind, and who bring the lustiest villain, was the leader of the others. Thou liest, for thou hast come among us a vile spy, but thine ears have heard too much for thy body's good, and thou goest not forth from this place, unless thou goest feet foremost, for this day thou shalt die. Come, brothers, all together, down with him. Then, whirling up his cudgel, he rushed upon Robin, as an angry bull rushes upon a red rag. But Robin was ready for any happening. Crick, crack. He struck two blows as quick as a wink, and down went the blind man, rolling over and over upon the grass. Quoth Robin, these fellows spake somewhat about certain monies they were taking to Lincoln. Methinks I might find it upon this stout blind fellow, who hath a keen sight as e'er I trained woodsman in Nottingham or Yorkshire. It were a pity to let sound money stay in the pockets of such thieving knaves. So saying, he stooped over the burly rascal and searched among his rags and tatters, till presently his fingers felt a leathern pouch slung around his body beneath his patched and tattered coat. This he stripped away and, weighing it in his hand, bethought himself that it was mighty heavy. 
It were a sweet thing, said he to himself, if this were filled with gold instead of copper pieces. Then, sitting down upon the grass, he opened the pocket and looked into it. There he found four round rolls, wrapped up in dressed sheepskin. One of these rolls he opened, then his mouth gaped and his eyes stared, I what, as though they would never close again. For what did he see but fifty pounds of bright golden money? He opened the other pockets and found in each one the same, fifty bright new-stamped golden pounds. Quoth Robin, I have oft heard that the beggar's guild was over-rich, but never did I think that they sent such sums as this to their treasury. I shall take it with me, for it will be better used for charity and the good of my merry band than in the enriching of such knaves as these. So saying, he rolled up the money in the sheepskin again, and putting it back in the purse, he thrust the pouch into his own bosom. Then taking up the flask of Malmsey, he held it towards the two fellows lying on the grass, and quoth he, Sweet friends, I drink to your health and thank you dearly for what ye have so kindly given me this day, and so I wish you good then. Then, taking up his staff, he left the spot and went merrily on his way. Thus he went merrily along, till at last he had come to the wayside cross nigh Ollerton, and being somewhat tired, he sat him down to rest upon the grassy bank in front of it. It groweth nigh time, quoth he to himself, that I were getting back again to Sherwood, yet it would please me well to have one more merry adventure ere I go back again to my jolly band. So he took up the road, and down the road to see who might come, until at last he saw someone drawing near, riding upon a horse, when the traveller came nigh enough to him to see him well. Robin laughed, for a strange enough figure he cut. He was a thin, wizened man, and, to look upon him, you could not tell whether he was thirty years or sixty. So dried up was he, even to skin and bone. As for the nag, it was as thin as the rider, and both looked as though they had been baked in Mother Huddle's oven, where folk are dried up so that they live forever. But although Robin laughed at the droll sight, he knew the wayfarer to be a certain rich corn engrosser of worksop, who more than once had bought all the grain in the countryside and held it till it reached even famine prices, thus making much money from the need of poor people. And for this, he was hated far and near by everyone that knew aught of him. 
So, after a while, the corn engrosser came riding up to where Robin sat, whereupon Mary Robin stepped straightway forth. Whereupon Mary Robin stepped straightway forth, in all his rags and tatters, his bags and pouches dangling about him, and laid his hand upon the horse's bridle rein, calling upon the other to stop. Who art thou, fellow, that doth dare to stop me thus upon the king's highway? said the lean man in a dry, sour voice. Pity a poor beggar, quoth Robin. Give me but a farthing to buy me a piece of bread. Now out upon thee, snarled the other. Such sturdy rogues as thou art are better safe in the prisons or dancing upon nothing with a hempen collar about the neck than strolling the highways so freely. Tut, quoth Robin, how thou talkest. Thou and I are brothers, man. Do we not both take from the poor people that which can ill spare? Do we not make our livings by doing naught of anything good? Do we not both live without touching palm to honest work? Have we either of us ever rubbed thumbs over honestly gained farthings? Go to, we are brothers, I say. Only thou art rich, and I am poor. Wherefore, I prithee once more, give me a penny. Dost thou prate so to me, sire? cried the corn engrosser in a rage. Now I will have thee soundly whipped if ever I catch thee in any town where the law can lay hold of thee. As for giving thee a penny, I swear to thee that I have not so much as a single groat in my purse. Were Robin Hood himself to take me, he might search me from crown to heel without finding the smallest piece of money upon me. I trust I am too sly to travel so nigh to Sherwood, with money in my pouch, and that thief at large in the woods. Then Mary Robin looked up and down, as if to see that there was no one nigh, and then, coming close to the corn engrosser, he stood on tiptoe and spake in his ear. Thinkest thou in sooth that I am a beggar, as I seem to be? Look upon me, there is not a grain of dirt upon my hands or my face or my body. Didst thou ever see a beggar so? I tell thee I am an honest man as thou art. Look, friend, here he took the purse of money from his breast and showed to the dazzled eyes of the corn-engrosser the bright golden pieces. Friend, these rags serve but to hide an honest rich man from the eyes of Robin Hood. Put up thy money, lad, cried the other quickly. Art thou a fool? 
to trust to beggar's rags to shield thee from Robin Hood. If he caught thee, he would strip thee to the skin, for he hates a lusty beggar, as he doth a fat priest or those of my kind. Is it indeed so? quoth Robin. Had I known this, mayhap I had not come hereabouts in this garb. But I must go forward now, as much depends upon my journeying. Where goest thou, friend? I go to Grantham, said the calling grocer. But I shall lodge tonight at Newark, if I can get so far upon my way. Why, I myself am on the way to Newark, quoth Merry Robin, so that, as two honest men are better than one in roads beset by such a fellow as this Robin Hood, I will jog along with thee, if thou hast no dislike to my company. Why, as thou art an honest fellow and a rich fellow, said the corning grocer, I mind not thy company, but in sooth I have no great fondness for beggars. Then forward, quoth Robin, for the day wanes, and it will be dark ere we reach Newark. So off they went, the lean horse hobbling along as before, and Robin running beside, albeit he was so quaking with laughter within him that he could hardly stand. Yet he dared not laugh aloud, lest the corning grocer should suspect something. So they travelled along till they reached a hill, just on the outskirts of Sherwood. Here the lean man checked his lean horse into a walk, for the road was steep, and he wished to save his nag's strength having far to go ere he reached Newark. Then he turned in his saddle and spake to Robin again, for the first time since they had left the cross. Here is thy greatest danger, friend, said he, for here we are nighest to that vile thief Robin Hood and the place where he dwells. Beyond this, we come again to the open, honest country, and so are more safe in our journeying. Alas, quoth Robin, I would that I had a little money by me as thou hast, for this day I fear that Robin Hood will get every groat of my wealth. Then the other looked at Robin and winked cunningly. Quoth he, I tell thee, friend, that I have nigh as much by me as thou hast, but it is hidden, so that never a knave in Sherwood could find it. Thou dost surely jest, quoth Robin. How could one hide so much as two hundred pounds upon his person? Now, as thou art so honest a fellow, and, withal, so much younger than I am, I will tell thee that which I have told to no man in all the world before, and thus thou mayest learn never again to do such a foolish thing 
as to trust to beggar's garb to guard thee against Robin Hood. Seest thou these clogs upon my feet? Yea, quoth Robin, laughing. Truly they are large enough for any man to see, even were his sight as foggy as that of Peter Patter, who never could see when it was time to go to work. Peace, friend, said the corn engrosser, for this is no matter for jesting. The soles of these clogs are not what they seem to be, for each one is a sweet little box, and by twisting the second nail from the toe, the upper of the shoe and part of the sole lifts up like a lid, and in the spaces within, are fourscore and ten bright golden pounds in each shoe, all wrapped in hair to keep them from clinking and so telling tales of themselves. When the corning grocer had told this, Robin broke into a roar of laughter and, laying his hand upon the bridle rein, stopped the sad-looking nag. Stay, good friend, quoth he, between bursts of merriment. Thou art the slyest old fox that e'er I saw in all my life. In the soles of his shoon, quotha, if ever I trust a poor seeming man again, shave my head and paint it blue. A corn factor, a horse jockey an estate agent, and a jackdaw for cunningness, say I. And he laughed again till he shook in his shoes with mirth. All this time the corning grocer had been staring at Robin, his mouth agape with wonder. Art thou mad, quoth he, to talk in this way so loud and in such a place? Let us forward, and save thy mirth till we are safe and sound at Newark. Nay, quoth Robin, the tears of merriment wet on his cheeks. On second thought, I go no farther than here, for I have good friends hereabouts. Thou mayest go forward if thou dost list, thou sweet pretty fellow. But thou must go forward barefoot for I am afraid that thy shoon must be left behind. Off with them, friend, for I tell thee I have taken a great fancy to them. At these words, the corn factor grew pale as a linen napkin. Who art thou that talkest so? said he. Then merry Robin laughed again, and quoth he, Men hereabouts call me Robin Hood. So, sweet friend, thou hast best do my bidding, and give me thy shoes. Wherefore hasten, I prithee, or sighs thou wilt not go to fair Newark town till after dark. At the sound of the name of Robin Hood, the corn factor quaked with fear so that he had to seize his horse by the mane to save himself from falling off the back. 
then straightway, and without more words, he stripped off his clogs and let them fall upon the road. Robin, still holding the bridle rein, stooped and picked them up. Then he said, Sweet friend, I am used to asking those that I have dealings with to come and feast at Sherwood with me. I will not ask thee, because of our pleasant journey together, for I tell thee, there be those in Sherwood that would not be so gentle with thee as I have been. The name of corn engrosser leaves a naughty taste upon the tongue of all honest men. Take a fool's advice of me, and come no more so nigh to Sherwood, or mayhap some day thou mayest of a sudden find cloth-yard shaft betwixt thy ribs. So, with this, I give thee good den. Hereupon, he clapped his hands to the horse's flank, and off went the nag and rider. But the man's face was all bedewed with the sweat of fright, and never again, I wot, was he found so close to Sherwood Forest as he had been this day. Robin stood and looked after him, and when he was fairly gone, turned laughing and entered the forest, carrying the shoes in his hand. That night, in sweet Sherwood, the red fires glowed brightly in the wavering light on the tree and bush, and all around sat or lay the stout fellows of the band to hear Robin Hood and Little John tell of their adventures. All listened closely, and again and again the wood rang with shouts of laughter. When all was told, Friar Tuck spoke up. Good master, said he, thou hast had a pretty time, but still I hold to my saying that the life of a barefoot friar is the merrier of the two. Nay, quoth Will Stutley, I hold with our master that he hath had the pleasanter doings of the two, for he hath two stout bouts at quarterstaff this day. So some of the band held with Robin Hood, and some with Little John. As for me, I think, but I leave it with you to say for yourselves which you hold with. <laughs>